0: We're now in the three weeks that began with Shiva Asaba Tammuz and end with the 9th of Av, 17th of Tammuz to the 9th of Av. And these weeks are set aside for mourning. They're called, uh, I don't know, weeks as we get towards Tisha B'Av, mourning, come and we sit there and experience And if you speak to the average person in the street, especially those of us who have been influenced by Western culture, and you ask them and say to them, like, how good is it to be sad? Generally, sadness is a very bad rap. People aren't seeking to be sad. Now, why aren't people seeking to be sad? It's a bit strange, though. You see that in our spiritual system, part of the apparatus requires an experience of sadness. In fact, this experience of sadness is not isolated to these three weeks and it doesn't reach its zenith in the day of Tishabab where we literally sit on the floor and cry. Now imagine mandating obligatory crying. Like what kind of religion is this? You, know, you sit on the floor, you don't eat, you don't wear normal shoes and you sit there and you literally weep. And that's something that is embraced by the strikes that we're part of. So if pain and sadness is a bad thing, And God is all good. No way Tata and Himmel would do such a thing to us. Right? Right? So moving from the premise that our system of spiritual fulfillment is healthy, we have to reckon with sadness. We have to reckon with sadness. We have to reckon with what is that? And perhaps even shift some preconceived notions that we have about this. so let's visit sadness and let's visit sadness I think sadness is a painful emotion should we embrace it or do we always have to be in a state of happiness Mm -hmm. so I'd respectfully like to explore this idea by suggesting that sadness is a very very important part of the experience of, of life and that trying to whitewash sadness with a series of yellow happy faces <laughs> could actually be counterproductive to a person's emotional well-being and health as well as spiritual connection. So let's um, begin by imagining what would be ha- happen if a person had a, a person that they were very close <laughs> to. Khalilah, parent very close friend, uh, sibling that tragically passed away. And you went over to the person and you said to the person, how are you feeling? And they say, you know what? I don't let these things get me down. I just, <laughs> I'm just gonna like, you know, put in a smile and just like move with it. What would you, what would you, what would you feel about that person? What do you think about him? Ralph. It's delusional. Delusional, Schmoll says. Ralph, what would you think about him? Delusion not connected in beautiful not connected. in other words there's no connection between him and the reality of the event boom boom innovation number one happiness can if wrongly used separate us from reality and create a delusional existence that we're not embracing the reality of what's going on in front of us Game changer. In other words, emotions, perhaps, shouldn't be categorized as positive and negative based on the emotional impact on the individual, whether it be jubilation and joy, or melancholy and sadness, by categorizing the jubilation and joy as being, whoa, good emotions, melancholy and sadness, bad emotions. Perhaps the categorization of emotions should be, do they connect To the experience of reality in a healthy and cohesive fashion or do they obstruct a connection to the reality so just as much a person that has the gift of life and feels sad he's not responding to the natural being of the moment so to a person that experiences a deep loss and doesn't feel sad is not responding to the reality of the situation and therefore, taking that in consideration, it becomes a lot easier to ponder the idea that there may be moments of sadness, because we have no problem that there are moments of happiness. Sukkot is called Chag Simchasenu, the time of a happiness. It's a mandated happy time. Why is it a mandated happy time? Well, because it syncs with that moment in time, has an abundance of stuff in it, that the response to that, to connect to that, the emotion that you need for its connection, is happiness. And on the festival of Passover, Pesach, the expression, the connecting experience is one of feeling liberated and free from constraints. And each time, and each Event and each period of life has its appro- appropriate emotional connective state. And when your emotions are balanced and harmonized, it means that you're going to be moving with the flow of reality, with emotional coherence. It's going to be that, that thing that occurred, or is occurring, is responded to by an appropriate emotion. And therefore, as we flow through the rhythm of the year we develop an emotional regulation that responds to the nature of the energy in the time with an appropriate receiver it's almost that the time transmits a signal and the emotion is the receiver of that signal and if the emotion doesn't receive the signal meaning there's a breakdown connection so then the emotion will be off key to the event Okay Step number one So therefore During these three weeks We should become increasingly sad But why should we become sad? So people say Well we should mourn the destruction of the temple So let's let's try to figure this out Imagine We're sitting out in 2021 And There's lots to be sad about Let's say Meaning there's, There's been a tragic Loss of life And uncertainty Is there still life going on in Surfside, in Miami, Florida, where a building, a residential building, collapsed, and, and the, the, the nightmare that the people, the relatives, and the friends have gone through and are going through is incomprehensible. So to feel sadness is that that's that's terrible. In South Africa, the COVID nineteen infection rate has become incredibly high, and a lot of people within the Jewish community alone are suffering. And are hospitalized and are on respirators and it's it's really, really sad. Israel, as a country, it seems that the numbers are rising, but its very existence is so precarious with an uncertain government and threats on all the borders. The world at large has never been um prescribed the Western world more anti anxiety and antidepressant drugs. So Obviously, there's a lot to be sad about. So, therefore, I should be sad. But, once upon a time, over 2,000 years ago, there was a building that stood on a little mountain in the center of the city of Jerusalem, and there was a Roman invasion, and the Roman armies, the 10th Legion, conquered Jerusalem and laid that temple to waste. That's not sadness, that's a historical fact which has long since reached its expiry date. So if you're going to tell me to be sad about an event that I didn't experience, that has been swallowed up in time, and you want me to experience it, I would say that's bordering on lunacy. It's like you're requesting to me to experience something which is not well, It's not. it's not in the healthy range of relationship. I'm going to tell you about an event that you have no connection to, it was very sad I'm going to ask you to experience the sadness even though it's happened many many millennia back in time that sounds like an absurd requirement absurd is it is, is anyone opposed to rescuing ourselves from the claustrophobic highly intense heat situation in the room by turning on the air conditioner it's hot I mean, no. nobody's opposed So therefore, here we are sitting in three weeks of a velos, in mourning an event, that seemingly is not within our realm to experience a feeling of mourning, and if we would it would be seem arbitrary at best and contrived at worst. We're gonna pretend that we were there, we're gonna pretend, we're gonna pretend, 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 pretend. So as you know, pretending is actually the disconnected emotion we want to try to create emotional coherence cohesion so therefore it means that the stimulus of the emotion produces it not that there's no stimulus and I evoke an emotion which is disconnected to an event I don't know if anyone's catching my train of thought Rabbi Zadeh are you catching my train of thought? somewhat, somewhat. okay Listen, I'm, mean, the truth is, I'm happy with this somewhat. it somewhat. Feels like a major move forward in terms of my normal range of comprehension of people that I speak to. <laughs> there must be something, what I'm suggesting, in our present reality that's called the destruction of the base image that, we, that, we, that we're responding to. It cannot be a historical event, because a historical event is not emotionally accessible. So it must be a current event. There must be a current destruction of the temple. Well, if there's we're responding to a current destruction of the temple, it can't physically be the demolition or the destruction of the building. Because that's not current. So it must be a conceptual distraction. So what we're going to have to do in order to access this experience is abstract. What does it mean that the temple was destroyed? And... Then feel that experience as it's occurring in our daily life. This is this is like not, this is like the beginning of any kind of practice of Judaism. Correct? We have to recognize that the historical events which occurred are in their own right interesting, but not cohesive for any kind of emotional experience. And therefore, when we connect. To the energies of the time, we cannot be commemorating an event. We have to be experience that event in this moment, as it is happening right now. So it's not that, oh, on the seventeenth of Tammuz, the walls of Jerusalem were breached. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> the walls broken down, <laughs> big stones What <laughs> <laughs> oh, the nice walls, God. <laughs> not appropriate so what does it mean that the, the walls were breached relevant to us well let's think about what walls do so let's suck out the concept walls move a community into its own right having a wall community means for example in relationship to the laws of Shabbat it's now p- private domain it's no longer public which means that the space, which previously was an open space, which didn't have a unifying component to it, which moved the inhabitants from being randomly settled in the same spot to becoming united as a common community, when the walls are broken, that law shifts. You can no longer carry inside because now it's public domain. Public domain, each man for himself, we're not united, we're not unified, we're not coalesced. So what does a break in the world of I mean? It means that the communal nature of the Jewish people was breached. And now the community no longer is cohesive in its own right with all the different parts interplaying with one another as an interactive whole. But everyone's kind of doing their own thing. That beginning of the disruption and fragmentation of the community reaches its height in the destruction of the base hamikdash, what is the base hamikdash? It's a house. What is a house? House is a structure which allows for intimacy to occur, and is made up of bricks. But the rationale for the destruction of the base hamikdash means it, is given as that people couldn't get along with one another. Is this working? It does, yeah. sure. Oh. Okay. I trust you. Yeah, you do know, you want to just turn the vent down and it? would be amazing. Yeah, it's yes, definitely yeah. working. Okay. okay, good, 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 good. Good. Do you want this work? Okay. So so it's a house and the house is made up of bricks. And when there was chinam, there was causes hatred, so then the house was broken. You know, I don't know, I mean, I'm not a master of construction uh, and study civil engineering or anything of the like, but as far as I know, as far as I know, emotional interaction between people who live in a house doesn't have an implication to the structure of the house. As far as I know, you know, when people go and they bring an engineer, they bang a house, They bring the engineer to check the building, not to check the... You know, they should bring in a psychiatrist to evaluate (laughs) the emotional health of the previous tenants. It doesn't happen. So so how can you say, oh, the reason why the temple was destroyed is because this causes hatred. It must mean that the temple is symbolic, and it's a house. It's called the house where Kali as it were, live. There's their, their house. So when you don't have people getting along, your house breaks down. And therefore you say that, really, symbolically speaking... House is built up. The way that you create a house is brick by brick, laid upon one another. Now, you can understand, what happens if brick A says to brick B, do you know what? I actually don't like you. Do you mind moving a little bit away? And brick B says to brick A, well, the truth is, I don't like you either. So if you don't mind it, I'd like to get a bit of distance from you. And on top of them, brick C says, actually, I didn't actually get along with either of you two guys. I'm going. And brick D says, hmm, I'm also not happy yet. Do you know what happens to the house? Well, the house breaks down. Well, see, the bricks can't get along with one another so then there's no house left so symbolically speaking the destruction of the temple was just a manifestation of a, a ruined community and the community was ruined by the disintegration of relationships which began when the community was, was breached that's the seventeenth of the was, was the starting of a fragmentation process which reached its climax when actually the entire structure of the community just fell apart It just fell apart So what really are we Are we connecting to We're connecting to Fragmentation in relationships And I wonder if we can I wonder if that's still around Well let's look at the incredible cohesive nature Of the Jewish people today Mm. Not so much Uh, Not so much In other words there's definitely a, a little bit of You know there are certain Jews Located in a certain old geographical space In New York and Israel And when you look at the kind of Relationships that are um, Present Amongst those people um, How much cohesion is there? Well I'd venture to say Very little From the nuclear family Where there's unfortunately Enormous struggles In terms of domestic tranquility, to the micro-communities to the macro-community to the land as a as whole, to the Jewish people as a whole, and we're talking about a nation which is incredibly fragmented, dislocated each one from the other until it's almost as if there's no glue or perhaps cement sticking us together each brick kind of on his own journey. Each brick saying, You know what? I actually I don't feel comfortable around those other bricks. I want to be my own brick. Maybe that like kinda of make it a little bit of a wall with a couple of other bricks over here, but we, we bricks aren't connected to those bricks over there. And what are you left with? What are you left with the ruin. And uh that's deeply, deeply distressing. But the truth is we don't even have to go to this bigger picture. Let's just talk about the destroyed relationships in our own lives. You know, if we look at our relationships, we look at our relationships. I don't know, parents, siblings, close friends, family, cousins. Are those all like up and running and healthy and just like generating wellness and good, good, good goodwill? I don't know. Eh? I don't know. I mean, I can I speak for myself? Struggling, struggling both in both in terms of the nature and the quality of the dynamic, and in terms of the. The level of connection, you know, even when the dynamic is theoretically good, but how deeply do I love and care? And do I express that love and care? So actually, the more I think about this, the more there is really enormous room for sadness. And what happens when I don't experience that sadness? Well, it means that I'm delusional and disconnected from the very reality of my being. And what happens when I'm delusional and disconnected from the reality of my being and my relationships and my community and my people, well, it means that the happiness that I replace for the sadness that should be is a pathetic attempt to create a seemingly beautiful edifice around a rotting core and that happiness is the saddest thing in the world so if we feel ourselves unmoved by these times that's a real tragedy that's a bigger tragedy than feeling sad feel ourselves that we can just kind of go on we're doing well we kind of I don't know I'm happy things are going Things are going well for me, you know. Like you know, I've got my bed, the aircon works, food, got my collet. I started stocking like a nice range of American products. <laughs> yeah, America. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, July 4th. I, hey, July Fourth, no. I the rubber. We should uh, <laughs> celebrate <laughs> with Star Spangled Song. So, so, I think, like, I know, like, for me, life is good. I'm doing well. Like, nothing really wrong. It's like good. It means that we are running away from the pain. And when you're running away from the pain, you're running away from true connection. And we have so much pain. I have so much pain in my life. I have so much pain in my life. I've also got joy. I've got, I've got immense happiness. But I've also got pain. So I have to make sure that the happiness isn't a thin lacquer painted over my pain, but it's really the same and we can be happy and sad at the same time. Our emotional bandwidth is immensely wide and we can experience multiple, multiple nuances of emotions simultaneously and that's why, I don't know, before before I donned the penguin garb and became a religious fanatic, I was a student of the fine arts and the visual arts Took up enormous amounts of space in my brain, and the first thing I'd do when I'd walk into a house is I'd kind of give a brief look at the paintings and get a sense of like how aesthetically uh, sophisticated the house occupants were. And I think I stopped doing that after I became religious because it was just too disappointing. And <laughs> like after seeing the nine millionth sunset scene with the sun cliched setting over some tropical island I thought if this happens one more time I may have to carry a, a knife around me to rip the cameras and I thought they wouldn't be they wouldn't be healthy so i stopped doing that but why, why, why are those those gaudy pictures so incredibly unsightful and distasteful to me they're just not real thank you they're just too cheesy that's not life it's just too cheesy there's no contrast there's no depth there's no reality. If you want to look at it in a work of art, there's contrast. There's, everything's okay, but what's that thing over there? It's just, hmm, That's just, there's there's there's, 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 there's kind of something going on. And when you get these cheesy, you know, mountain scenes, snow-capped, little stream, and that wooden cabin on the side, I mean, yeah, You want you, like, you know, you want you to do an A- a bit of artistic peristalsis. <laughs> um, so, so that, because that's that, that's a kind of that's a kind of cliched, um, superficial, lack of life that we live. It's a little bit like when we present ourselves sometimes on social media. And we do we do we do the we do the sun, the sunset scene but we just like do the selfie with me in the background. So what happens is you go to the beach with your friend. Um he's not into it because he's completely stoned out of his brain. And you try to con- conduct a conversation with him and he just looks at you with like glassy eyes and goes, Yeah. Yeah <laughs> Yeah, like so cool, man. Like so cool. So he's but I just I was speaking to you like about the meaning of life. And you go, Yeah, so cool. <laughs> so you you frustrated with him? And you get to the beach, and uh, you're ready and you go to the bathroom badly, and there's no bathroom around. So you're like, you know, you're holding yourself in, but then you have to like put something on social media. So you turn around, and put a big smile to the camera, yeah, yeah, and you take that selfie with like the, the magical scene in the background. You know, think, whoa, that guy's having such a cool time. You send it off, and then you go like, toilet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, so we almost we almost habituate ourselves, and, and like the consequence of this this this, this parody of of perpetuating superficial existence, it becomes contagious. So then this guy is on the other side of the world sitting in a rainforest in Brazil, looks at your at your at yourself and he thinks, Oh my gosh, I'm only in a rainforest in Brazil. I could be on that beach with that guy was having such a cool time. And his misrepresentation becomes the spade that Digs away your experience in the moment because you feel, oh my gosh, this is already so low grade compared to him. And then you, you, and then, and then like, so you have to compete. So you, I don't know, you like kind of climb up a tree because you only get the perfect photo, you scratch your foot and you're really upset with it because now you're gushing blood. Mm-hmm. So you make sure that when if the guy takes a photo of you in the tree, like put in a smile that you can still maintain for three seconds flat. <laughs> and then you wave as like a monkey flies above you and goes, whoa, that guy's having such a cool time. So unfortunately, we can become habituated in not only on an overt level perpetuating an illusion of our own happiness but actually internally which is far more ruinous trying to perpetuate this happiness drug inside ourselves and getting caught into the happiness trap as opposed to deeply embracing the beauty of the moment which has with it a whole range of different emotional experiences and let's think about where we are as a nation and as a people um so as a nation of the people the, the, the tragic, tragic news That I have to share with you Is we are Disappearing Off the face of the earth Now we have the faith That the Jewish people Will never be completely Disintegrated And there will always be a kernel uh, A seed A Core group That will survive But the Jewish people As we know today Tragically, according to the current rate of assimilation will, apart from the core nucleus of a strongly committed orthodox group, will essentially disappear. And by assimilation I don't necessarily mean intermarriage. I mean the loss of any connection to Jewish identity or the heritage that we, uh, legacy uh, mission, that we, we perpetuate for and always have done as a nation. And uh, if you don't think that's sad, that the people that have championed justice before the law, speaking truth to power, introduced the notion of charity and kindness to the world, molded the psyche of the Western and Near Eastern world, Near Eastern world like nothing other, and that that tradition is going to be lost to the majority of its adherents. If you don't think that's tragic, okay, so then, then, okay. But if you do think that's tragic, what is it? Where does the tragedy lie? The, the tragedy lies in, there's this beautiful, deep, profound way of being. That informs our every thought, speech and deed and allows us to immaculately connect to the vibrating, alive source of the created world through a ingenious engineering of multiple factors which bring about a coherent resonating, authentic, genuine existence on every level from the practical to the emotional to the spiritual. And people have become saints through engaging in the system. And even those who fail become men of great stature because when you aim for that utopian existence, even when you fall short, you are far above just civilization. And throughout the death threats, persecution, near obliteration, we have championed this incredibly deep, profound being. And that has become lost to the world. Because the people themselves, genetically, biologically, will survive. What will be gone? What will be gone is that. That spiritual grandeur. That incredible connection. Call it Torah. Call it our connection to the boya Olam, that's what's being lost. So what are we mourning? No, no, we're not mourning. We're not mourning individual, physical loss of life because people are alive and thriving. And it could be introducing multiple nations into the gene pool could only be good for the Jewish nation as a pro-generation into the future physically. So what is it? Where, where does the sadness come from the sadness comes from the fact that these people have access to this deep incredible beautiful almost ineffable greatness lose accessibility forever and every time anyone does that each person is his own individual deep 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 tragedy and it's not just one, it's not just two, it's thousands and there's hundreds of thousands and over the course of decades it becomes millions and millions and as we get deeper into this what happens to us is paradoxically we become more deeply connected to our own essential selves to our own experience of that beauty and the sadder we get it must come from a deeper appreciation of the beautiful legacy that we carry. And therefore, as an extrapolation, if we think about it, if we're not experiencing sadness, so maybe that's a reflection of a lack of appreciation or integration of this beautiful legacy that we carry. Because if I, for example, feel that my religious observance is simply a restrictive way of life, well then, if people have been able to get out of that, I will feel joyous. If I understand, or I feel, that all religion is, is one big fat guilt trip, so then I'll envy the people that don't have that burden on their shoulders. So ironically, this deep sense of mourning can only come through our integrated experience of the beauty and the joy and the incredible artistry of the thing that we call Torah and Avodah but if we have that not so then we will be numb to its loss and therefore as we regulate our emotions and inquire about them as to how do we feel about the fragmentation and the loss of the greater Jewish population really the question we are asking ourselves is how do we feel about our own relationship? How do we integrate our own experience of this world with the beautiful song of Torah playing in the background and us moving to the rhythm of that beat? Who are we? Where are we? When we ask ourselves the question, am I truly, truly embodying the boya Olam in my thoughts and my speech and my feelings? And my words and my actions, <sighs> or am I just—I don't know, you know—looking for like some kind of like psychological scapegoat for my issues? You know, <laughs> am I a bit of a, a Marxist? that the religion is the opiate of the masses. What a nice place, so safe to retreat to and get away from the problems of my life and delude myself with some kind of spiritual story that I could tell myself. And that fantasy will get me out of dealing with the real issues that confront me in life. Well, then that's not going to be anything that's going to be relevant, is it? That's where we're at, boys. Time for contemplation. Time for reflection. Time for digging deep inside of ourselves. And I do believe that if we dig deep enough, we'll be able to reach a place of deep appreciation. It may take some work. It may take some reflection. Maybe by contrasting it. And thinking about, well, think about your friends that didn't get the privilege of sitting where you're sitting today. In their professions. In their lives. And think about, are they having this discussion right now? Are these thoughts even beginning to cross their minds? And then how do you feel about that contrast? And maybe that will give you a little bit of insight into how precious this time is.